Lord, I thank you for convicting me at a young age, Lord, of my sins and that I needed Jesus. And I thank you, Lord, that at the age of 13, I had decided to follow Jesus. Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would be with me as I continue, Lord, to seek you out, Father. I know that those that seek you find you. I pray for a closer relationship with you, Lord. And God, even though we had a revival and the revival service has come and gone, I pray that you would continue, Lord, to revive me and revive your people. I pray that you would be with Brother Marvin as he comes this morning, that you would anoint him with your Holy Spirit, that you would fill him with your presence and with your words, Father, and that you would use him as a vessel this morning to speak your truth, Lord. I pray, Lord, for the, the, the sinner here that does not know you as their personal Savior, that today they give their heart and their life to you. I pray for the Christian that's here today. Maybe they've just been playing church for years. Maybe they have struggles in their life right now. Sin that they have trouble conquering. I pray that today that you would give them the power and the strength through Jesus. That you would break them of those bonds, Father. And that you would reunite them, Lord. And their relationship with Jesus. I pray that you would just speak this morning, that your Holy Spirit would fill this place so thick that words don't even have to be uttered. That people will just come, Lord, and repent and give their lives to Jesus and that lives will be changed. Use this time for your honor and glory. We ask all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Good morning. If you got a Bible, I want to ask you to turn with me to the book of Romans, chapter 1. The book of Romans, chapter 1. We're going to read three verses and kind of dig in and start out here this morning. And I want to talk to us about a sermon called, Not Ashamed of the Gospel. We all know this verse. It's the main verse in this passage we're going to read, where Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. For everyone who believes it, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, the Gentile. And we all say, amen, we get fired up and say we're not ashamed of it, that we believe it's the power of God for salvation. Which means no one is ever going to be saved apart from hearing, understanding enough to receive and accept the gospel because that's the power that God uses to save souls. And we all, if we're saved, we're saved by it. We heard it. We know it. We know what it is. And we'll say we believe it's the power of God and we'll say we're not ashamed of it. <laughs> Yet when's the last time you shared it? When's the last time you've seen a lost sinner and you didn't just invite him to church, that'll never save him. Or do something good for him, that'll not save him. It's good stuff. But you told him the one and only thing that'll keep him from going to hell and will save his soul, that Jesus died for you. I know you're a sinner. I know you make mistakes, but he loves you. And he was buried. And three days later, he rose from the dead, and he lives today, and he will help you. And if you'll trust him, he'll save you. That's basically the gospel. And you can say, well, I just don't know it good enough. Well, if you don't know it enough to tell someone else how to get saved, how did it save you if that's the power of God that saves us? What did save you? Church? A decision? 
walked an aisle, none of that saves you unless it was on the foundation of the gospel that you realized you're a sinner, you realized Jesus died for your sins, and you trust in him, and you believe he rose from the grave, and he lives today, and he's your Lord today, amen? So I want us to look at what Paul says. He's writing to a church, and if there was any somebody whose life, ministry, and everything about him was centered in the gospel, it was the Apostle Paul. He's writing to a church, and this is his greatest letter. It's the longest letter. It's his masterpiece. It's the greatest explanation of the gospel in the Bible probably ever written anywhere. And yet this is a church he's never been to, but he longs to go to. And look at what he tells them when you look in verse 8 of chapter 1. He says, first I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit. And look what he says in the gospel of his son. That without ceasing, I make mention of you in my prayers. And look at what he says in verse 10. Making requests, if by some means, now at last, at last, I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. Paul is longing to come to this church and get to meet and fellowship and minister to these and be ministered by these believers. Look at what he says in verse 11. For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift so that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. What mutual faith? The faith of them believing the gospel, trusting in Jesus. And look at what he says in verse 13. Now, I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often plan to come to you. So what he's saying is, I want you to be aware. I want you to know I've often planned to come. But until now, I was hindered. He said, man, I'm trying, I'm asking, I'm praying that I may find a way to come to you. I long to see you. And he says, but I've been hindered. When you read the entirety of the letter, do you know what's hindering him from coming to this church? He longs to see, that he longs to go and visit, that he's heard so much about? Preaching the gospel. When you look at the context, that's what's wrong. God's got him somewhere else. He wants to go to this church, but God's got him on a mission field. God's got him preaching the gospel, and God's saving Gentiles, and people are being saved, and church congregations are being planted. And Paul is writing letters that we have that make up the majority of the New Testament scriptures to these churches that's been saved. But you know what is the main thing that's making it all happen? The proclamation that Paul unceasingly, unashamedly, no matter where he goes, preaches the gospel. Without the gospel, everything else will never accomplish the most important thing, people being saved, people coming into a personal relationship with Christ, and their souls and their sins forgiven. Friends, I want you to see what Paul says here. He says, why? He says, I'm hindered, and we'll look at that in a minute that I might find some fruit among the Gentiles, other Gentiles. And look at what he says in verse 14. For I am a debtor both to the Greeks and the barbarians, both to wise and to unwise. He says, I'm obligated to Greeks and barbarians, both to wise and unwise. So as much as is in me, with everything in me, he's saying all of my heart, I'm ready to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. So what he's wanting to do more than anything to him is to come and preach the gospel. Why? He says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. 
For it is the power of God for salvation unto anyone, everyone who believe it. To the Jew first, but also to the Gentile. And look at what he says. Paul realizes, for in it, verse 17, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written. The just shall live by faith. Faith in what? Faith in the gospel of Jesus. Faith in the truth that Jesus died for us. Guys, Tony Evans says this, the book of Romans is the clearest and the most beautiful explanation of the gospel ever written. I believe Romans is Paul's theological masterpiece of the gospel. It's my favorite letter. You can read it. You can take parts of it. We call it the Roman road, and you can lead someone to Christ with just a basic, simple presentation of the gospel that comes from this book. But you can get something that you can tell somebody that's never heard it, You can tell them one time, and they can get enough right there to get saved. But you can get saved and read it for the rest of your life, and the gospel is so unbelievable that you can read it every day, and you'll get something new, something more. As deep as the gospel is, thank God God made it where anybody, though, who wants to hear it, who will listen, can understand it. The big problem is not the gospel. The message is perfect. And it has the power to do what needs to be done. Save anybody who'll hear it. But the problem is that there's a shortage of messengers. (laughs) People who are not ashamed. People who's willing to believe it is what it is. I want you to think about this with me. Paul's ministry, his life, his every action point to one thing, the gospel of Jesus. When you start reading his letters, everything Paul did was motivated It was built upon, he was driven to do one main thing, preach the gospel. It seems to me today, church today is driven and motivated to do everything but that. We want to build youth ministries, we want to build music ministries, we want to have fellowships, we want to have ministry for men and ministry for women, and when we come, sometimes the priority is not to get the gospel shared. Many times we don't even hear it at these meetings. And we wonder why God's not blessing, why people aren't getting saved when we're not doing it the way we've seen it done in the Bible. I want you to think about this with me when you look at Paul. Paul says right here, he says, I'm indebted, I'm obligated to preach the gospel. He says he's even eager. He says, with all in me, he said, I'm ready to preach the gospel. He's ready everywhere he goes. As a matter of fact, listen to what Paul said to the church of Corinth. Paul told the church at Corinth in chapter 1, verse 1, chapter 17, he, he, Paul, Paul says in verse 16, he says, for if I preach the gospel, I, I'm sorry, he says, for God did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. And he says, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. Paul said, he didn't send me to baptize, he sent me to preach the gospel and not with all kinds of wisdom. Listen to what he said. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Paul believed with all his heart that the power for a man to be saved was totally dependent on the proclamation and the receiving and the acceptance of the gospel that Jesus died for sinners according to the scriptures, that he was buried and on the third day he rose again according to the scriptures. Listen what else he said in the, in the gospel, uh, 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 I mean in the book of 1 Corinthians. When you get to chapter 15, listen what he told them. 
Paul says, moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel. When you look at Paul's life and you study his three missionary journeys, everywhere Paul went, when he found a group of people to preach to, the first thing he did was declare the gospel. When he was in the book of Acts, when you look at the life of Paul, when he went on his first missionary journey, the first thing he did at the first place he went is what he did everywhere for the rest of the book of Acts through three missionary journeys. He would find a synagogue, a place where people who were Jewish believers gathered. He would go to that synagogue and he would enter in and he would sit and he would wait for an opportunity to preach the gospel. Let me give you the example. The first time when Paul left Antioch, having been anointed, had hands laid on, and sent out to go out for what God had called him and Barnabas to do, he went to a place called Pisidia. And it says in chapter 13 of the book of Acts, but when they departed from Perga, they came to Antioch in Pisidia, and they went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and they sat down. And it says, and as they were reading the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent to Paul saying, men and brethren, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, say on. Man, that was the worst thing you could have ever told Paul. Amen. Paul stood up. I'm reading this straight from the word of God, chapter 13. Then Paul stood up, motioned with his hands, said, men of Israel and you who fear God, listen up. Amen. And Paul preached the gospel. And when you look at Paul through three missionary journeys, through years on end of constantly on the field, on the mission field, he did the exact same thing even after the Jews rejected the gospel. He would still go there first. And he'd preach to the Jews and the Jews would not accept it and he'd go preach to the Gentiles and people would get saved. Guys, listen, Paul told the church in Corinth, you think it's hard to share the gospel today? Corinth was like going to New Orleans. It was like going into the worst part of Shreveport you could find. It was as ungodly as you get. There was no church presence. There was no gospel that went before. Paul was the first one to get there. They never heard of Jesus. There was no Jesus. There was no New Testament. There was no other church to copy. Paul had nothing but Jesus and the message of his gospel. And he entered an ungodly city that was full of idolatry and false gods, and he preached Jesus. You know what he said he told them? Listen, it's right here in chapter 15, verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare you the gospel which I preached to you, which you also received, and which you now stand, and which also you are saved. Friends, if you stand today because of Jesus, if you've been received him, and you're saved, it's because someone preached the gospel to you, or you lost and religious, and you're nothing but a Baptist. But if you are a child of God, born again, filled with the Holy Spirit, somewhere you heard the gospel, somewhere the gospel got a hold of you, it called you out of darkness into the light, and God saved you, amen, through the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. He'll never save any of your neighbors, your loved ones, because they got their name on a roll, they've been baptized in some water, or they come to church. Friends, the worst thing we could do is get someone to come to church and get them used to being here and even make them like it without the gospel. Friends, the best thing we'll ever do is start with the gospel, but we don't do that anymore. Paul said, by which you also are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed it in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that for which I also received, 
that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and on the third day he rose again according to the Scriptures. That's the basic gospel, and that's what he preached. And everywhere he preached, he preached the gospel. Listen what he's told the church in Thessalonica. The gospel was the center of what happened. Thessalonica was another unchurched, unchristianized. It was this, like going to a place where Jesus was never preached before. That's where Paul went to go. He didn't want to preach to his church friend. He didn't want to go tell someone that already knew. He wanted to find someone who had never heard. And that's who he strived to tell. The people we dodge is the people we hunt it for. The people we shun, the people we're scared to scare it, preach it to, that's the one he wanted. He wanted the people who may not even want to hear it to hear it. And friends, I want you to think of what he said. He said for, in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, just listen. For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. You know why it wasn't in vain? He says, for after we suffered before and were spitefully treated at Philippi, as you already know, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. Paul said, that's why it wasn't vain that we came to you. That's why you're a church today. Because when we came, even though we'd been run out of Philippi, we came here in much conflict and we boldly preached Jesus. Listen to what else he says. For our exhortation did not come from error or uncleanness, nor was it in deceit, but as we had been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we spoke to you not pleasing of men, but God who had tested our hearts. Guys, today we're not here to please sinful men. We're not here to make Americans want to like church. We're here to preach the gospel to sinners, and God will sort them out and let them decide what they want to do with that. We are here not trying to do what we're supposed to do. If we would get back to the gospel and believe that what Paul believed, I'm not ashamed of it. Because I know it's the power of God for salvation unto anyone who believes it. The message of the cross is foolish to those out there perishing, but to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God for salvation. Why are we so quiet? Why do we not talk about it? Why are we so closed lips? We would never admit it in our little Baptist sophisticated mind that we're ashamed of it, but if you wasn't ashamed of it, you'd be telling people about it. What we say with our mouths means nothing compared to what we practice. And America is dying for a lack of hearing Jesus and his gospel preached again with people who believe it's the only hope. Friends, listen, what he also says he says, for neither at any time did we use flattering words, as you know, as a cloak for covetousness. God is our witness. Nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others. He says, but we were gentle among you, just as a nursing mother cherishes her own child, so affectionately longing for you that we were well pleased to impart not only the gospel of God to you, but our own lives to you. Paul said, we didn't only impart the gospel, we gave our lives for you. And we gave it to you. Listen to what else he finally says. For you remember, brethren, our labor and our toil, for laboring night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you, so that we might preach to you the gospel of God. Paul said, when we got there, 
When we showed up at Thessalonica, our coming to you wasn't in vain because when we got there, we came preaching the gospel, even in conflict, even in people that didn't want to hear it. He says, and I remember, brethren, our labor, our toil for laboring night and day that we might not be a burden to you, but that we might get to preach to you the gospel of God. And friends, I want you to know something. A church got there. Everywhere Paul went, that's what he did. Now we back where we look at it, and I want you to, to think about this. Why was Paul so consumed? Why was Paul looking to preach the gospel wherever he went? Because Paul believed with all his heart that it was the power of God for salvation. He believed that it was in the gospel that God revealed his righteousness. And there's no other place to find that. If you look with me back where we started, turn with me to the back of the book of Romans. We're going to come back to the front. But I want to show you when you get to the back of the letter, just to make sure I ain't making this up, look at what Paul told him. He said, the reason I ain't been to you is because I've been going everywhere preaching the gospel and people's been getting saved. Look at what he says in verse 18 of chapter 15. Paul says, for I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ has not accomplished through me in word and in deed. He said, it ain't just what I said, it's what I did. He said, and look at what he says, to make Gentiles obedient. Obedient to what? Obedient to the gospel of Christ. Look at what he says in verse 30. Now I beg you, brethren, through the Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm in the wrong spot there. Um, verse 19. He says, to make the Gentiles but in mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit, so that from Jerusalem, and guys, listen, you can go read the book of Acts, and you can see Paul did exactly this. He went in the power of the Holy Spirit, and everywhere he went, God blessed him with miracles and signs and wonders. Why? Because he was preaching the gospel, and God was authenticating that message. And look at what he says. So that from Jerusalem, look at the bottom part of verse 19, and round about to Elycrium, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. Paul said, from the time I left and went on the journeys that God sent me on, from Jerusalem to Elycrium, everywhere he went, I fully preached the gospel. Look at verse 20. And so I have made it my aim to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build on another man's foundation, but as is written, to whom he was not announced, they shall see. And those who have not heard, they shall understand. Now I want you to turn with me to chapter 10, I mean back to chapter 1. And I want you to see, why was that such a burden to Paul? Why did Paul everywhere he go preach the gospel? You know why? Because Paul understood there's a serious problem for everybody. You see, not only has God revealed the goodness of the gospel and the goodness of forgiveness, and salvation and eternal life. You see, that's the remedy. He's also revealed the problem. See, the problem is that, according to Paul, if you look right here, he says the verses we want to hear. Verse 15, so as much as is in me, I'm ready to preach the gospel to you also in Rome. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Salvation from what? Salvation because, friends, we have not understood and lived in righteousness before a righteous God. That's why he says the righteousness of God that makes us righteous is revealed in the gospel. And look at what he says in verse 18. The first thing he says, 
for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and all unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. You know what the Baptist religious person thinks today? That's not us. That's them people out there, them left-wingers and them progressives and them leftists. That's all them people out there. That don't mean us. No, that means every man that ever stepped on this earth and made a track did that. See, Paul unveils this in the gospel presentation of the book of Romans when he says that for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteous of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. How do we suppress the truth in righteousness? Unrighteousness. We do stuff we ain't supposed to do. We, we don't abide in the truth. Paul says everybody here has been a truth breaker. Everybody here has been unrighteous. If you look at what Paul says, look at what he says in chapter 3. When you get to chapter 3, Paul says this. He says in verse 9, What then, are we better? He's talking about the religious Jew. Not at all. For we have previously charged both Jews and Gentiles that they are all under sin. Guys, Paul makes it clear that there's not a person in this building, there's not a person that's ever been in this earth that is not under sin, who committed sin. Look at what he says. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There's none who understands, there's none who seeks after God. That's every one of us. Look at the bottom of that. He says in verse 19, now we know that whatever the law says, the law that a lot of people thinks is going to save them because they're doing good. Compared to my bad, going by God's law, my good outweighs my bad. And that's what most people are trusting to be righteous, but that's not the righteousness of God. The righteousness of God has to be a perfect righteousness. That's why it has to be through Christ. It's only His perfect righteousness. Look at what He says. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law that every mouth, look at that, may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. And look at what he says in verse 20. And throughout the book, if you read it and study it, he overwhelmingly brings this truth home that no one can be saved by keeping the law and trying to do good on their own ability. Everyone fails. No one can ever do it except one. His name is Jesus. That's why he's our Savior. And look at what he says. By verse 20, Therefore by the deeds of the law, that's our ability to work and keep the law, no flesh will be justified. That means declared not guilty, made righteous in God's sight. For by the law, you can't save yourself, but by the law is the knowledge of sin. It's because of the law I know I'm a liar. It's because of the law I know I've had idols before God. It's because of the law that we know that we don't always do what we're supposed to do. And friends, the law can't save you. The law condemns you. But the law's good. It's the perfect righteousness of God's standard of true and what is right and wrong. But no matter how much you think well of yourself, my friend, you're a sinner more than you are righteous. You've all broken it. And so there's a problem. He tells you, if you look with me, as we work our way to where I want to preach out of and close out, if you look in chapter 6, we've all heard this verse in chapter 3, that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every one of us, the Bible says, we're all guilty. 
and the wages, what we've earned, what we're owed. Look at what Paul says in chapter 6, the last verse, chapter 6, verse 23. For the wages of sin. What's the wage of sin? If you work all week, you get paid something because you are deserving of that. It's owed to you. Well, if you live a life and you commit sin, you got a wage coming. you got a paycheck coming, amen? And guess what that is? You're separated by spiritual death from God until you're born again and you're reconciled and regenerated through the new birth that can only be accomplished through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus who gave his life for your life in your place so that he can give you his righteousness for your sin in his place. That's an unbelievable truth, but that's what the gospel reveals. So the wages of sin is death, but look at what he says. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Man, it's amazing, but he says in this book in chapter 5, he says, for when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly, not the godly. He says, Listen to this, my friend. For scarcely for a righteous man would one dare to die. Yet perhaps for a good man some would even dare to die. But God demonstrated his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners in our sin, Christ died for us. He didn't die for the church people that's religious. He died for sinners. He died for people who realize I'm ungodly. I can't keep the law. I fall short of the standard of God's glory. I am a lawbreaker. And friends, listen. When you get to chapter 10, he shows you how to receive this gift. How do you receive a gift? Friends, listen, the amazing thing is Israel, who should have knew more than anybody. Jesus came. He was their Savior, their Messiah. They had all the truth, the Old Testament scriptures, all the promises, all the covenants, all the advantages and benefits of Jesus' coming, yet they did not receive him. Why? Because they were prideful, they were puffed up with self-righteousness, and they thought they could save themselves. They thought they could make their own righteousness. And now what I've come to find is you'd be surprised how many of your neighbors and your friends who are not in a place where you can see evidence of Jesus in their life, when you talk to them about, are you saved, will say, yeah, I believe in God. And they have a zeal, they kind of love God in ways. But when you talk to them, they're trusting in their righteousness, that they're good. And compared to their bad, I'm not a bad person. My good is better. I keep the law. I help people. I do good things. I'm a good wife or a good husband or a good parent. Friends, no one is good enough. Israel wasn't good enough. But they wouldn't trust and believe that they had failed. So listen what Paul says in chapter 10, verse 1. And we're going to close out with how does the gospel work and how does it truly save you. Look at what he says. Brethren, that's us who believe. My heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. Paul said, man, I want them to be saved. How many of you have got someone you praying for? Someone you look at? right across the street from you, maybe sitting at the table with you, that comes over from time to time, who'll tell you, I love God, I have a zeal for God, I believe in God, I'm okay with God, but they have no desire to embrace 
proclaim and celebrate the gospel. They're not excited that Jesus died for them. They never mention it. They don't want to have anything to do with God except go to heaven when they die. They have a a zeal for God. And if you ask them, I'm not a bad person. I've been baptized. I've done good things. Good things can't save you, friends, because we've all done bad things. That's what happened to Israel. Look at what he says about him in verse 2. He said, I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. They're ignorant. They don't understand the righteousness of God, and they're caught up in their own righteousness. Guys, church has never saved anybody. A membership on a roll has never got anybody into heaven. Baptisms, no matter how many, has never ever secured your eternity. The only thing is the blood of Christ, the cross of Calvary, a personal admission that I'm a sinner and deserving of hell. But, oh God, I believe Jesus died for me, and I accept that. I trust your gospel, and I believe that not only did you die for me, but that you rose again, and you're resurrected, and you're ascended, and now you live to help me, and I don't have to live like I used to live. I can turn to you. It's called repentance, and I can put faith in you. That's called trusting the gospel in Jesus, and you'll come into my life, and now you'll help me to become a new creature. All things will pass away. All things will become new because I won't be in my religion. I won't be trying to keep the law. I'll be in Christ and I'll have a Savior and I'll be different. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It's a big difference than religion. Religion will do nothing but disappoint you. Jesus will deliver you. Jesus will take your disappointments and he'll turn them into blessings if you'll let him. But you've got to be humble. Listen what it says. He says in verse 3, For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness have not submitted to the righteousness of God. So what were they doing? They were trying to keep the law. They were trying to be religious. They were trying to do good. They were trying to do what's right. But look at what he says. But Christ, at verse 4, is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. See, Jesus is the end of the law for righteousness. We don't keep the law now to be right with God. The law, according to some people, I like how D.L. Moody said this. He said, the law comes along and shows me how crooked I am, and then Jesus shows up with his grace and straightens me out. (laughs) And that's a good way to put it. Because as you look in the Old Testament, I don't know about you, it's condemning. I, I look at that and, man, they failed and, and, and they were so much not what they could have been. But then you look in the New Testament, you look at Christ and you look at Jesus and you look and it's a big difference, amen? Because Jesus is the fulfillment of all of that, which was the coming of the fullness of God's redemption and salvation in Christ. And friends, listen. Jesus is the end of religion and trying to do good and be good enough and trying harder and feeling like I'm never good enough because you never will be. But in Christ, he takes your unrighteousness and gives you his righteousness. He takes your sin and gives you his holiness. Friends, listen to this, what Paul says. He says, when you get to verse 5, for Moses writes about the righteousness which is in the law. The man who does those things shall live by them. If you're going to be saved by the law and doing good 
and not trusting completely in Jesus, then you better live by them. You better do right. And you know what happens when you try to live the law? Listen to what Paul says. He says, but the righteousness of faith, the righteousness of faith, faith in Jesus and the gospel speaks this. Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven. That is to bring Christ down from above. Or who will descend into the abyss, into hell. That is to bring Christ up from the dead. You know what happens when you're trying to live by the law? You're either thinking this, and I've witnessed to so many people, especially when I lived down in Catholic country, and I was in a mission field that was predominantly Catholic. I was in the First Baptist Church of Madisonville, and we had about 40 people on a good Sunday morning. And if you went out and did a door-to-door, you ran into 80 people before you found a Baptist. Amen. They were all, this is what they tell you. Brother Marvin from the Baptist Church, I'm Catholic. Well, we just out telling people about Jesus. I'm Catholic. Could we tell you about the gospel? Well, I was born a Catholic. No, you wasn't. You was born a sinner. (laughs) And that Catholic Church is a works mentality. It's a religious system. And if you'll go to their church and you'll do what they tell you and you'll keep their sacraments and you'll jump through their religious hoops, you might get to go to heaven. Or you might have to go to purgatory till those who are left behind can pray you out. But there's no certainty. But you've got to work your way to get there. I grew up in that. It was so hard for me to realize that my salvation is a gift of grace, that it's freely given and I don't earn it. I receive it just by saying, yes, Lord. And it's hard for our friends out there who are ignorant, who have a zeal for God, who believe in God. They love God even, but they don't know His righteousness doesn't come from them doing good. It comes from the one and only who was good, giving you what you never will deserve, His goodness in the place of your badness and saving you by you believing in Him. Friends, listen. As that religious system, you're in it when you go talk to them, they either think they're good enough. Well, I'm a good person. I go to Mass. I keep the sacraments. And I'm just saying that because I grew up in it. But it can happen in the Baptist church. Well, I'm a good Baptist. I give to the church. I serve. I help people. I I tithe. I've been baptized. I even sing in the choir. I'm on the prayer. Friend, show me where any of that's going to save you. And then we think that our good outweighs our bad. And what you begin to look in is if you've been good enough, you can get tricked by your self-righteousness to think, I'm going to get to go. But then if you're so bad, like I met some people, I was one of them. I gave up on religion that required me because I said, I'm so far gone, there's no hope. And so that's one extreme. There's either people thinking they're good enough to get in or they're so bad they'll never be able to get in. And that's what he's talking about. If you're not living by the righteousness that comes from faith, you'll either bring people down from heaven or you'll bring people down from the abyss. Friends, I don't know about you, but I'm not worried about going down anymore and I'm not worried about if I'm going to go up anymore because my faith isn't in my religion. My faith is in Jesus. My faith is in what he's promised me by faith. And listen what he says. Paul says right here, and we get back to the gospel. He says, for Moses writes in verse 5, The righteousness which is of the law, the man who does not those things shall live by them. But the righteousness of faith speaks this way. Do not say in your heart who's going to go to heaven. Do not say in your heart who's going to descend into the abyss. But what does he say? Look at verse 8. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth 
and in your heart. How did it get there? How did this word of faith get to you so that it got in your heart and now it's in your mouth? Well, I love this. Look at what he says. He says, that is the word of faith which we preach. Look at that, verse 8. The word of faith which we preach is the gospel. And look at what he says in verse 9. That if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's that easy. It's so easy, a lot of people can't believe it. And friends, listen, how does that happen? Because the gospel is being preached and the power of the gospel has the ability to change your heart, to convince your heart, to draw you to truth and open your eyes and break your pridefulness that I'm righteous and show you you're not. And every time you preach the gospel, every time you preach this Bible, people's hearts are being prepared to be able to be able to believe enough to be saved. Look at what he says. Verse 10, for with the heart one believes unto righteousness. You'll never be righteous in God's eyes until you believe the faith message of the gospel, that Jesus died for you, that he rose again. Look at what he says. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. If you believe in your heart, guess what? It's going to come out of your mouth. You're not going to be ashamed. You're not going to not be willing to call out on Jesus. That's why I'm not ashamed to give a public. If you're not willing to walk down an aisle for God who walked up Calvary's hill for you, Jesus said this, not me. If you deny me before men, I will deny you before my Father. But if you will confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father. I don't know about you, but I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of Jesus. I'm not ashamed to say I'm a no-good sinner deserving hell. But by the grace of God, I was shown mercy, and I was given grace, and I've been forgiven, and I don't deserve it today any more than I did then. I mess up. I do things I shouldn't. But God is perfect, and he saved me. And friends, I don't know about you, that's what we got to get back to. Do you know how many people don't know that? Go tell them if you don't believe me and see how many people's ignorant of it. Friends, listen to what he goes on and says. He says, with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with confession one is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him with their heart will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between the Jew and the Gentile. For the same Lord is over all, is rich to all who call upon him. And then he says this verse, for whoever calls on the name shall be saved. And now I'm going to close with this. How many of you believe that the gospel has the power to do that? That if you'll believe it in your heart enough to say it with your mouth, with your heart you believe under righteousness, and then with your mouth you confess under salvation. And everyone who believes will not be put to shame with their heart, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord with their mouth, that's what it says, will be saved. But guys, listen, with all of that potential, with that great promise that God made in the gospel, with all of that power that's available, none of it can happen unless somebody goes and tells them. All that power is in your life if you're saved. All that power is in here tonight in every one of us who's been saved by it. But it'll never help one neighbor, one family member, one person in America if you hold it in your heart. See, Paul understood 
that how can they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how can they believe in whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without a preacher? And how can anyone go unless he be sent? Friends, I don't know if you believe this or not, but if you've received the gospel, you've been commissioned to share the gospel. If you have the gospel, you're obligated to give it away. You know what Paul said about the gospel? He said, for if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of, for necessity has been laid upon me. Yes, woe is me if I preach not the gospel. That's what he said to the Corinthian church. If you've been given the gospel and the gospel has come into your heart and changed your life, I want to tell you, you you don't have nothing to brag about because you share it. You ought to share it. By necessity, you're obligated to share it because someone shared it to you or you would have never been saved. Look at what Paul says, and we're going to begin to close. He says in verse 14, now then, shall they, how shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings to good things. I preached a sermon similar to this at my other church. Remember, Diane? And you know what I did at the beginning? I got up and said my announcements, and when I went and sat down, I was suited up that day wearing suits back then. I took my shoes off. And I rolled my pants leg off back to my knees. And I got up there and I just started preaching barefooted. And everybody's looking. And I ain't got pretty feet. Not naturally. <laughs> I don't think they're pretty. Diane thinks they are, maybe. But anyway, I'm up there in old hairy feet. And everyone's looking. And I start sharing that. The Bible says that the feet of anybody who brings the good news of the gospel's feet are beautiful. And the problem with most of them that day in that church, and I would have bet it could have happened here too, is that they were more upset that the preacher got up there barefooted out of protocol and was embarrassing us than the fact that they never shared the gospel. I said, y'all think my feet's ugly? God says they're pretty if I'm sharing the gospel. Some of you's got ugly feet. That's why you got to keep them hid. <laughs> Friends, listen. The Bible celebrates. The Bible claims joyously that we're victoriously when we share the gospel. Now, I know what you're going to think. Yeah, but that was Paul. Paul was not me. I don't know how to preach. I don't know how to speak. The power is not in the messenger. The power is in the message. The more you trust the messenger and the more you trust your ability, the less God will use you. Because even Paul didn't trust himself. You know what Paul said about when he preached in, church, in Corinth? Listen to this. This comes from the Apostle Paul. It comes straight from his lips, his pen, in chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians. Listen to what Paul says. And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom declaring you the testimony of God's gospel. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul said, that's all I knew. 
I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit, capital S, and of power. That your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the wisdom of God. God used a donkey to preach and get his message to a man in the Old Testament. He uses me. He can use you, my friend, because you ain't the one who does it. It's his message. And if you'll share the message and believe in its power and be not ashamed of it, God will save people that he puts in your path. I want to ask you, this is funny. I've been talking with Sam. You know, Sam's kind of new to this, and he was like, man, I, I can't figure out my timing. It, I, it, it's, 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 it's going quicker than I thought, and I'm just getting this preaching stuff figured out. Are you nervous? Are you uncomfortable? The moment you ever quit being nervous, the day you get comfortable is the day God ain't with you. Because you've got to trust God. I've been telling Diane all day, she's been getting on to me, oh, quit it. I said, I hope that mic works. I can't preach with one hand. I've got to have both hands. I can't hold the mic. Uh, I, I, I felt so bad last week, I felt like a biggest failure and someone joined the church. You know what, if I shared the gospel, if I shared the truth, you never fail if you tell it. The only way you can fail is not telling it. Being too ashamed to share it. Guys, why are we ashamed? Let's just be honest today. Why don't we tell people? Because we must not believe it's the power of God. We must not believe God has revealed his wrath against all unrighteousness and his righteousness is only revealed in the gospel and that it's the power of God to save people. And friends, we all know the gospel. We need to share it more, amen? I'm preaching to Marvin. I'm convicted. I'm not sharing it the way I used to. But I'm going to tell you, I can look back through my life and I've watched over and over and over the gospel save someone who I didn't think would be saved. Just yesterday, a family friend from my hometown named Miss Paula Camp, they called checking on me. I seen them at the funeral last week. And she called, and she's a retired nurse, so she likes to tell you what to do when you're sick. But she called and said, I, I want to tell you something. You remember Mr. Jack Williams? Yeah, Mr. Jack Williams grew up right down the house, right down the road from me. He had five boys. I went to school with all of them. His wife left him with them five boys when they were all young, some in diapers. And that old man raised them kids on his own without a wife, never remarried. He was this good old man every home, worked in the shipyard, retired. He got older. I knew him all my life. We hunted. We fished. I had his... Two of his sons spend the night at my house. I'd spent the night at his house. Mr. Jack got cancer. Mr. Jack was the most honest man you'll ever meet. He was a man of his word. As far as human to human, he was as good as they come. If he told you something, you could take it to the bank. But Mr. Jack was as lost as lost can get. Well, she told me this is what made me think of this. She said, Marvin, Jack had that diverticulitis his whole life. And he used to tell Adrian that cottage cheese and peaches <laughs> is the best thing you can eat. I'm like, well, okay, I'm listening. But I don't think she called to tell me about cottage cheese. That brought it back to my spirit. I was studying this yesterday. 
Mr. Jack called me one day and said, he knew me back when I was lost. I'd go to his house and sell my daddy's guns to go buy cocaine with. I went up there. He said, son, I hear you down at the little church and you're doing good. And I know if anybody knows about God, I'm going to die. I need you to tell me what I need to do. And I started talking to him. And Mr. Jack had one thing, though. He could cuss with the best of them. <laughs> and now some of them don't bother me, like the S.O. and even the Emmers. But the G.D.'s break my heart. And he started listening, and I shared the gospel, and I shared my testimony. He said, I believed all that, son. And I've prayed to God my whole life. How do you think I raised these boys on my own? How do you think I forgave my wife? How do you think I'm even here today? But I need to know I'm saved. I said, Mr. Jack, you've got to trust Jesus. He just couldn't get it. I prayed with him. I witnessed to him. I couldn't get nowhere. And when I left, some of the last things I heard was them SOBs and GD, and I left with a burdened heart. His daughter-in-law, who was married to his son, Barney, who me and him went to school with all my life, was sitting there. And she listened to it all. I went and I talked, and I went back and seen him a couple times. I wouldn't get nowhere. I couldn't convince him that he wasn't good. And finally, one day, Marty was at our church. We was having revival. And they called and said, Mr. Jack needs you to come see him. He said, would you come? So I told Marty, and Marty knelt right there. Him and Diane started praying. And I said, no, you don't need to come with me. I need to go by myself. So when I went there, I got there, and as soon as I come in there, he said that word, GD, again. I said, Mr. Jack, there ain't no doubt. You as good a man. I trust you more than half my church. You're an honorable man. You raised them kids. You're a great American. But you've done something every time I've been here that I've never not been around you, even with you sick, seeking God, that's enough to send you to hell every time I've been here. What? I said, the Lord says in the Ten Commandments not to use his name in vain. And you've said GD every time I've been here, not to mention a bunch of other ones that you don't need to say. That right there ruined all your good stuff, and that is enough to send you to hell. He put his head down, and he started to weep. See, before Jesus can fix you, you got to know you're broken. Before you can get found, you got to be lost. And as I shared with him, he began to weep. And I said, Mr. Jack, that's why we need Jesus. If we could do it on our own, he wouldn't have died on the cross. Will you right now pray to receive Jesus? That old man prayed. He cried out to Jesus, and I want to tell you, I left, I went back to go see him a couple times. He died about a month later. But at the funeral, I got to do the funeral. You know what they did? They had him cremated. They brought him to the dog lease. And them crazy sons of his got him up in the airplane. And then that lease, everybody had a 40-acre plot. And his radio handle in the dog lease was King Edward. Because he chew a cigar all the time. And they got up in that airplane. And they flew him over his 40 acres. And with all of us standing down there, I did it. I said, Lord, I'm not going to tell them no. They said, we want you to come and bless Daddy as we pour out his ashes on his hunting. And they poured it out. And I was able to share the gospel and preach Jesus. And when they flew over and they poured out King Edward, I prayed and thanked Jesus. And I stood there with them boys. Since then, I did one of them's wedding. 
I ain't seen them get saved, but I'm going to tell you what, their daddy got saved. At the funeral, you know what his, Barney's wife told me that day? She said, Marvin, I ain't never seen nothing like it. He cussed, you know how he was, he never cussed again till the day he died. Friends, the gospel's real. Jesus can change people's lives. And the gospel does it. It ain't me, it ain't you, it's the message of Christ. He died for sinners. But until we realize we're a sinner, that good news don't do us no good. I believe in the midst today there might be a sinner in the bunch. You want to get tired of religion? Come on to Jesus. He'll come into your life and save you. But I believe there's a lot of us here who knows there's some sinners we need to share. I want to encourage you. Be not ashamed. Tell them the good news. Tell them Jesus died for them and that he loves them and he lives for them and he'll save them. You'll be surprised what God will do if we all just start telling it again like Paul. Amen? I don't know what he wants to do with this today. Maybe you want to come to the altar and pray for somebody. Make a commitment to God that put him in my life and I'll share. But guys, listen, Paul said, how can they call in whom they now believe? And how can they believe in whom they've not heard? And how they can hear unless someone preaches the good news. We've got to preach the news of the gospel. Would you stand with me as we pray? Father, I want to thank you for the gospel. I thank you that one day, Lord, I, I heard it. That, Lord, I, I believed it in my heart enough to confess it with my mouth and you saved me and there's many in this room. But, Lord, I, I ask you to forgive me. I don't share it like I should. I don't have a burden like Paul. I'm not obligated. I don't feel the necessity of woe is me unless I preach the gospel. But I'm asking for that burden today. I'm asking you to give it to me anew and afresh. I've had it before. I pray you'll give it to me again. I pray for this group of people under the sound of my lips. The hope of the gospel is the only thing that can help our loved ones, our nation, and our communities and schools. Lord, fill us again with the burden to share it, to preach it. Thank you for the testimony of Paul. And today, I just pray, Lord, that there's a sinner in our midst, someone who wants to be saved, that he'll come today and just say, I need Jesus. Lord, he's heard enough. He just needs to believe in his heart enough to say it with his mouth. And you told us, Lord, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Lord, I pray for that person right now that you're dealing with, that they'll come today to be saved. In Jesus' name, amen. Do you need to come? He's here today. He'll save you if you call on him. You'll believe him. Do you have someone that you know you need to tell? I'm asking you in the name of Jesus to go tell them today about Christ. Amen? Amen.